Welcome to Clock Out, the Vicarious Life Podcast. This is for the mavericks of the world who are embracing freedom and discovering purpose. Need a surge of inspiration? You're in the right place. I'm your host, Tracy Miller, a free-spirited, joy-seeking entrepreneur who is on a mission to find like-minded, open-hearted freebirds to share their stories of triumph, struggle, and inspiration. Until you're ready for your own adventure, let's clock out and live vicariously through others who have blazed the trail. Hello, and welcome to the next episode of Clock Out the Vicarious Life. Today, I am so excited because I get to interview Ember Swift. She is a Canadian musician and songwriter currently living in China. She has released 13 albums and has done countless international tours. She has traveled the world and is here to tell us all about it. Welcome. How are you, Ember? I'm very well. It's 6 a.m. here in Beijing, so stretch. Yes. It's 3 p.m. here in the blistering cold Montana. So yeah, we are on totally different parts of the world, different climates, different everything. (laughs) Definitely. Although it's cold. It's cold here. Don't worry. It's cold. Is it? (laughs) What's the average temperature? Well, you see, I operate in Celsius and uh, currently it's around, um, I don't know, it's about minus two or something in the mornings now. It's coming into spring. Okay. Which would be what? I don't know. Um, like 40-ish here, 30. So bad with, with Fahrenheit. I just yeah. never learned it. Yeah, <laughs> it's cold. We'll go with that. <laughs> so, Ember, I chose you to be on this show because you have such a diverse background. I mean, you have been kind of all over the place. You've got quite the the history of transitions and changes. And I think just an amazing career because you're in you know, you've done songwriting, you're a mother. Uh, Let's start with the songwriting aspect. Tell me about that. How did you get into singing? And more importantly, how did you become successful with songwriting and, and producing music? Hmm. Well, I think successful is uh, a very subjective term. I feel that I've been successful, but of course I'm not a household name. I'm not a famous artist, but I've had a longstanding career and I believe longevity is really the key to success. If you can continue to make music professionally throughout your life, then hey, that gives it a giant capital S success in my yes, in my opinion. But I started songwriting as a young kid. I'm 48 years old right now, mm. but I started songwriting when I was nine and then began songwriting throughout my, my high school career when I was at career because I liked in high school to convince my teachers to allow me to submit a song rather than an essay. Mm. I was, I preferred the challenge of writing a song and I I managed to convince a few teachers to let me do that. And then uh, began uh, performing professionally in, um, in university. And then, you know, the career just expanded from there. My first album came out when I was 22 and uh, my most recent album came out two years ago. So wow. I will continue to release albums. I've released 13 bodies of work and I still have an, a very active performance career here in China. And it was also international before the pandemic, hoping to get back out in to do, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> I'm hoping to get back uh, to Canada this summer to do some shows, but, and also to see family. Uh-huh. So yeah, you know, what is an active career? It's just being on stage regularly. 
sure. um, releasing music regularly and through all the channels and platforms and you know believing that music is is your your core sure okay and what so you childhood you were born and raised in canada i was born and raised in canada yeah just outside of toronto canada and uh lived in canada and in the province of ontario until my early 30s and then this dovetails well into what i'm doing in china yes um, i had studied chinese at university so I, my university degree my undergraduate is in east asian studies and i'd always had a fascination with asia specifically china and i had a background in studying mandarin but as a professional musician that was touring all over the place during the 10 years that preceded china i was averaging 200 concerts a year in canada the us wow. australia and uh and one Pacific Alliance Island, which is called New Caledonia. You must mention that. You must, as a touring artist, you have to mention your tropical island touring Yes. Experience. You have to. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, uh, I was touring constantly during those 10 years preceding China, but I had this back pocket dream of finally making it to China, having, you know, studied the language at university and having this desire to finally go there. I took a sabbatical in 2008 and I said to my, at the time, my agent, my manager, mm -hmm. I said, and my band, I said, I have to take a break. I'm dying. I need a, mm -hmm. I need a, a rest. And I focused on getting to this dream destination. So when I came here in 2007, actually 2007, as a visitor, I just fell in love with the country and the culture, the language, the land. I had to relearn the language. It had been nine oh. years since my graduation. Oh, I'm sure. And on the tour, on the road, on tour, doing the music musician thing for such a long time that my um, language skills had atrophied, let's say. Mm. But in the three months that I was here the first time, I, I really felt the language come back. By the end of those three months, it sort of I felt like it was like a chiropractic linguistic adjustment. Like it just got, and then oh. suddenly <laughs> I remembered how to speak Mandarin, uh, which was great. And yeah. at the very end of that first time here as a visitor, I met um, just very casually uh, the person I fell in love with in China, which mm -hmm. is the next visit. So then the following visit, I came back and re-met him. Now, the mm. significant part of that is that prior to going to China in 2007, mm -hmm. I was out loud, proud, queer, definitely a poster child for um, visibility for LGBTQ okay. rights and people and artists and um, very much very comfortable in my queer identity, mm -hmm. which, you know, just as a parenthetical, queer as a term is a very umbrella term it mm. includes bisexual it includes um transsexual it includes gay lesbian anyone who's not heteronormative so okay. i liked that term because sometimes i did find the occasional beautiful man attractive but i was i was partnering with women at that time in my life mm. but to meet and fall in love with someone of the opposite sex was a big deal
at age 33. Mm. I thought, wow, didn't expect that to happen. And uh, I then stayed another two months, then came back for three months, then eventually moved here in 2008. But I had to go through that big transition of coming out to my audience and saying, I have been very clear that love is love and we need to live our love Mm. large and we need to embody this belief that love is beautiful no matter where it occurs. And here I have to now come out in a backwards way. I was very out of the closet. Now I have to say, hey, um, I have to come out of the closet about falling in love with someone of the opposite sex. And actually that was really huge. My audience at the time was not as open-minded as the audiences of today. And I had a huge backlash. People really- Interesting. Some stayed with me and some really uh, said, okay, well, you're off my list. I don't want to listen to your music anymore. Wow. That's so like, I mean, that seems so hypocritical. Like, I mean, love is love, right? (laughs) I felt so too. Interesting. uh, At the time, it wasn't as open-minded as as a Western culture. We weren't as open. Uh, There wasn't as much um, advocacy for visibility mm -hmm. and- uh, you know, even the the bullying campaigns came up in the early teens of the 2000s. It wasn't even that wasn't right. even present in the in the early 2000s. So in 2007, when I made that announcement, and 2008 when I moved, uh, people were still very insular and very protective of the queer community, and felt that I was betraying or leaving sure. the queer community, which is of course not true because I'm right. still very much queer identified. I still am attracted to both women and now men. Mm-hmm. Um, so whatever, I accepted that I moved mm-hmm. on. I came to Beijing, restarted my career here. Uh, we eventually got married. We had two children. My kids are age 11 and nine. Okay. And then we split up in 2015. That's a longer story, but I'm very (laughs) happy that we split up. It was a harmonious and uh, peaceful first separation, then divorce formally in 2018. And I tell people about that often. I I have to speak about that often here in China because people, this is a very stigmatized thing to get a divorce still in China. In the Mm. West, it's very normal, right? Yeah. But uh, in the East it's still very hush hush and I am Western. So here in my Chinese dynamic, when I'm speaking to people, either casual, professional or uh, personal friends, I'm very open about that. And I I joke about how we're happily divorced. (laughs) (laughs) It's possible. uh, Yeah, it's possible. Totally. And um, still making music. I decided not to leave China at that point in my life because my kids were really well established here. I wanted them to be fully functional, um, not just verbally bilingual, but I wanted them to be uh, fully literal, literate. Right. Mm-hmm. And so as literate Chinese speakers, they need a bit more time here. It's super hard. This yeah. language is really difficult to learn to read and write. So yeah, that's why I'm still here. Do your kiddos speak English as well, I would assume? Oh, of course. Yeah. Their yeah. English is fully, uh, fully functional. And, uh-huh. uh, cause that's the language I speak with them, uh-huh. but they're also at French international school. So they speak French as well. So they're trilingual. Wow. And as a Canadian, oh that's really important to me. Yeah. That would make sense. Um, 
And uh, what else can I tell you? That's the very brief. And then we can dive into some details. Yeah, and stories. But, um, sure. I, I do have a partner now. Uh, we've been together for five years. He is from Canada. Uh -huh. And uh, um, probably some of my queer friends were hoping after my divorce that I would go back to the to the women's side of things. But I'm very <laughs> pleased to have met uh, a fellow human who happens to be male. And yeah. <laughs> we're, we're doing well. Very good. And and he lives in China too, I would assume. He does. And the fact that we met here as two Canadians who are both full-time yeah. music makers is what? Awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty crazy. Um yeah. okay, so going back to the music aspect, what what is your genre? My genre is also hard to define. Okay. <laughs> that's like another hard question. Um I would say that it come it stems from the folk or singer-songwriter genre because um, originally I'm an acoustic guitar player but I also play some electric on some of my songs mm -hmm. but from there I for instance I have a weekly original jazz show so I have a lot of jazz music that I have written and then one of the local jazz bars here like the main local jazz bar has um, booked me as a weekly performer so I go there every Friday and play a selection of my jazz material. Sometimes nice. I pepper it with the odd jazz standard, mm -hmm. but um, I have enough jazz material in my 13 albums to put on a show. Plus I have um, lots of pop and rock that stand outwards from the singer-songwriter material. I have huh? some reggae tunes. I have some, I have an entire album of electronic meets folk. So, so folktronica. Mm -hmm music very cool it came out in 2009 as sort of an experimental album it's one of my favorite pieces of work because it's so different from what i had done before yeah um yeah so i think it goes across many style genres Hard okay to define. good uh, just preparing myself for what i'm going to listen to when i jump on there and download some stuff are you are, are we able to download you anywhere course, spotify yeah, i'm on all the platforms all the spotify platforms. um you know it, itunes youtube um and of course on all the chinese platforms as well where i have an even stronger following having been here for more than 15 years or almost sure. 15 years uh -huh. and that includes like uh qq music and wang yi music and douyin and all that stuff which uh -huh. i'm sure you've never heard of nope nope <laughs> that's okay though <laughs> huge market here right huge population so yeah. those platforms um they say that weibo which is the chinese equivalent of twitter has more users in china than twitter has worldwide wow yeah that's that's crazy i i have never been to asia i've never been anywhere on that side it's it's on my to-do list starting next year the year after i'm not sure we might hit Europe next year. Um, I really want to see Indonesia, all of those different areas. So I'll eventually make it to China. Uh, but yeah, it's totally that what's that, that means well that means welcome. Welcome. Okay. Yeah. And my Mandarin will probably never be. I'm I'm terrified when people tell me that they know Mandarin, that's like saying that they're like neuroscientists or I mean, like I feel like you have to be so smart to know Mandarin. Like I don't because you know, it's intimidating. Well, you know, I always, people do say that to me back in the West, which makes me laugh because I have met a lot of not smart Chinese people, right? Who uh -huh. speak Mandarin perfectly. Sure. <laughs> right. And that's, 
that's the thing is that there are lots of different intelligent levels in every country and yeah. then there's a language that links them all right yes so yeah the cool thing about mandarin though as a language and as a musician is that it's a tonal language so um as soon as i started learning it that's actually why i switched into east asian studies in university because it feels like you're singing while you're speaking you must continue to be conscious of the tones and here we just had we have tones in english too but we can change them and it doesn't change the the meaning of the language so like i can say we have tones in english too da 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 da, da right that's uh, like the, uh -huh. the musical melody of what i just said yeah. but if i say that differently in chinese then i change the meaning of the words so you have to oh. lock into the melodic tone of the words um and that's what's super cool about this language. It, it forces a melodic association with meaning. And wow. I absolutely adore that as a musician. I bet. Yeah, that's, I, I, by the way, I struggle even with music. I don't see, I don't understand how anybody could ever, I just don't understand it. I'm like, it is literally a language of its own and it's foreign to me. <laughs> um, do you speak? I mean, so, so when you're, because you're living in China. Do you sing your songs in Mandarin then? Well, I have written songs in Mandarin. In 2011, I did a double disc and I did half of the songs, like one side of the album was mm -hmm. English and the other side was in um, Mandarin. So I translated the songs mm -hmm. and, I, and I thought that was really cool. Linguistically, yeah. it was a great challenge. Um, but I discovered that even though I'm fluent in Mandarin mm -hmm. and I present my shows in Mandarin, I discovered that when I sing in Mandarin, people here were not that impressed, right? They, mm -hmm. they didn't care. There's a huge market of people who sing in Mandarin because there's oh. a huge Chinese and, and Asian music market. Sure. And so hearing another person sing in Mandarin and top that off with being a foreigner singing yeah. in Mandarin. So my Mandarin is fluent, but some of my choices for, let's flip it. It's ima imagine uh, uh, an immigrant, a Chinese speaking immigrant to the US um, writing a whole body of work in English. Sure. They might choose to describe things or word things in ways that are strange for an, a native English speaker. And sure. their songs perhaps would be uh, kitsch, perhaps would be interesting and kind of uh -huh. cute, but we wouldn't see them as such great poetic works. This is yeah. what happened to me. So I realized, oh, <laughs> you know, as cool as it is to go back with a whole body of work to, to the West and say, look, I wrote a whole body of work in, in Mandarin. Um, people here would be like, okay, so yeah, whatever. Okay. And I realized, okay, my ma native language is really what sells here because I am not from here. Yeah. It's exotic so, to a degree. Yeah. I went back to releasing my songs in my native language, including a few French songs, and then, um, still continuing to present my music in Chinese. So I, I will host my shows in Chinese and translate bits of it for the foreigners that come. Uh -huh. And then I will sing most of my music in English. So Fascinating. it was an interesting uh, journey. That. Yeah. Um, how many languages do you speak considering how much traveling you've done? Just three. Just three. English, like English, French, French. and uh, Mandarin. Okay. And that's enough. I, I don't know. I've met lots of foreigners who live here who speak five or six, but 
Whew, yeah. I'm, I'm good. Yeah. The majority of people that I've, that I've interviewed, I, I feel like no one or two at most. And most of them, it surprises me, says that you don't really, when you travel internationally, you don't really need anything outside of English anymore between Google translate and the expectation, which is kind of sad. The, the whole world is expected to learn English and we're kind of spoiled. <laughs> yeah. I think of it as the Pac-Man language. It's like eating other languages all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It is sad. It's sad. Um, okay. So then tell me about your travels besides you. you, I mean, you fell in love with China. What, what were some other, I mean, were there other contenders on your tours that you thought about maybe making home or is just, just China? Uh, that's a great question. Before I came to China, my tours had been mostly North America based and I went to Australia nine different times. And of course, New Caledonia, which I mentioned with the with the mangoes growing on the side of the road. Oh, I loved those tours. Oh. Um, I did <laughs> I did fall in love with New Caledonia. It's a French speaking, uh, I mean, it's not originally French speaking, it's a, a colonized French Pacific Island. Uh -huh. But I guess the other contender was Australia. I love Australia as a country and have many dear friends there still. Oh, that must be my oh. daughter. <laughs> yes. She's Hi. leaving <laughs> okay. school time. It's three o'clock school just got out. She must not have known I was, I was on here. So carry on. Um, so I did a lot of traveling in Australia and really loved that country and haven't huh? been back since 2010. Sadly, I would love to go back. Um, but I traveled there annually, if not biannually for, um, nine years. So wow. for sure, that's a contender. And then my international um, European traveling didn't really start until I had already moved to China. Mm. So now, gosh, you know, it's really hard not to fall in love with Europe. It's yeah. so hard not to fall in love with France or the Netherlands or uh, even Prague. I loved Prague as a city, mm. but I did up and move all of all the way across the world so i did one of the biggest moves you can do to a country where at the time when i moved here my chinese was very rusty and very mm -hmm. academic mm. um and then i i was doing that move at the same time that i was i was suddenly partnered with a man and then mm. then we got married and we speak chinese together so we were partnered in a language that wasn't my first language so uh -huh the challenges that I associate with having moved to China, including restarting my career and right. then becoming a mother in a foreign land, those challenges are so, there's so many and they're so great and simultaneous that now the thought of moving to a foreign country makes me, makes me pause. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, yeah, because it was probably a lot more, I, I wouldn't maybe say the word traumatic because that's maybe not the right word, but overwhelming because you had so much and to think about only taking off one piece of that, which is the move, which would be <laughs> overwhelming and traumatic for many. Um, yeah, it's probably hard to even imagine that because you didn't just do one, you did kind of all at once. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah in, in Chinese, the word for overwhelming is... Um, or a way to express it is la, and to means head and da means big. So when your head oh. feels big, yeah, 
And yes. now I think of overwhelming is when my head feels like it's going to explode. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And that would be fitting. I mean, I think about just moving across the, the, uh, the furthest I've moved is like an hour away. You know, I've always kind of been settled in my little spot, uh, but we're, we're exploring that, you know, down the road here, my, my one that just walked in my 13 year old, when she graduates, we plan on moving kind of, and being a little bit more nomadic. And the thought of that to me is easy. Cause I like change, but when you're in it and you're just moving across town, it's like, oh my God, all of the logistics, all of the just utility changes and you go from one company to another, I can't even fathom what it would be like logistically going to a whole nother country where there's a different language, a full different way of doing things. And I mean, just your, your government there is totally different. Tell me about some of those struggles that you learned along the way, as well as part two to that, some of the struggles with living in China being so different from the Western way of things. Hmm. Yeah. The well, lot. the inf the infrastructure here for sure is difficult to wrap your head around, and I am grateful for my ex husband, my ex partner, who at the time when I moved here was just my boyfriend, mm -hmm. um, my new exotic boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and his he's of course first language Mandarin, so he was able to really walk me through some of those changes, which expats who come here, foreigners who come here and settle really have a difficult time trying to figure out how to pay for their water bill yes even something like that or how to set up a, a phone account and how to uh even just navigate the transit system yeah so i really had a crutch at that mm. time and i'm i'm really grateful for that uh but you're right even being here 14 and a half years i still find that i function differently than Chinese people. I'm just not culturally Chinese. Mm -hmm. So you can get used to some of those infrastructure things and figure out how to pay for your water bill, but you can never really figure out how to think about things the way Chinese people think about things. Mm. So for instance, here's an example. Um, this is a culture of rote learning. So the education system here, if you have not have the privilege of being educated in some sort of private school or international school mm -hmm. the chinese education system is one of a lot of memorization it's mm -hmm. respecting the teacher it's not questioning there's not a lot of critical thinking mm -hmm. so all of that then gets translated into how people operate in the world um i have many chinese friends so we've done lots of talking about this and it's shifting and changing and opening up but traditional chinese thinking doesn't leave a lot of room for critical analysis and it doesn't leave a lot of room for questioning authority. Sure. So how does that translate into everyday life? If you want, if you go to a restaurant and you, for instance, I'm vegetarian mm -hmm. and I cannot eat gluten, which is a pain in the neck. Sure. Everywhere in the world. But when you yes. come to, when you go to the US or you go to Canada, you can say, hey, can I get that without the bread? Or yeah. can I... Can I get, can you put the chicken on the side and then I'll, you know, feed it to someone at my table who sure. will eat it. But here in China, an example, like that kind of situation where you have to ask uh, a wait staff to do something outside of the menu creates a, a real um, conflict. Yeah. And so then you'll say, no, no, we don't have that. We don't have it like that. We don't mm. offer it like that. The way it's offered is like this. And that is sanctioned by my boss and by my yeah. chef 
And if I question that, then I'm going outside of the parameters of my job. So you're asking me to break the rules of my job if I if I do something like um, offer you a, a variation on yeah. what, what is offered. So... Therefore, I'm disrespecting the authority figures in my life as a, as a waitstaff. So the answer that they would give me is, no, no, sorry, yeah. we don't have that. And I said, well, sure. you do have that. It's just in different combinations here. Can I put it together? No, no, no. I can't. No, I can't do it. <laughs> oh, and I my gosh. will set a, wait, a waiter or a waitress into a spiral when I ask something. So and I ask it in fluent Mandarin. So it's not a question of language, language, no culture. It's just a yeah. question of culture misunderstanding. So I've learned how to navigate that, how to make jokes with it, how uh. to how to um, <clears throat> order something and then recreate it myself at the table. I've yeah. learned how to figure out how to feed myself in a restaurant. <laughs> but that's just a very minor, it's a very innocuous example. But that of course comes out in other ways, like in workplace situations or when you're trying to navigate a gig or when you're yeah. trying to um, get the answers to a question that you would you need as a foreigner, but sure. Chinese people don't need. Right. And, um, you have to try and figure out your way. And uh, that Chinese way is also not very direct. I'm very direct as a Westerner. Um, so I've learned how to ask my questions to the left and to the right. And then that'll eventually get me to the center. Interesting. Um, which I have to disengage when I go back to the West, because that is seen as manipulative when you go yes. back to the West. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that is fascinating. Or passive aggressive. <laughs> yeah. Which, which I'm definitely not as a personality type. Yeah. Huh. Okay. I will. I mean, I would love to, I could sit here and just ask very stupid questions about China my like entire life because I have so many. Um, but I, I did promise you I would respect your time. I guess kind of to wrap this up, what is, what's next for you and what is your, I guess, your favorite, most inspiring thing that you can say for listeners who are thinking about maybe living life outside of the box? Because you definitely live outside of the box. What's some advice, some inspiration that you could give them and what's next for you? Uh, well, that's that's a very big question. Oh, mm -hmm. First of all, I still have 20 minutes. I'm oh, good. you do? Okay. We'll yeah, keep going okay. then. <laughs> and, and there is no dumb question about China. I love when people ask me questions about China because I feel like the West uh, doesn't depict China anywhere near to accurately. So, and there's a ton of bias against China right now. The recent weather balloon incident mm -hmm. um, being a great example. Uh, who knows what the result will be of that whole story. Yeah. But when, when you ask me what, it, what would I say to people who want to live outside the box, I've never lived inside the box. I don't really know what it's like to live inside the box. Sometimes I dream of a life like that. I mm. think, what is it to wake up every day in the same house and to go to the same job every day? That seems comforting to me. There's something about that that might be uh, very stabilizing, mm. but I have never done it. And maybe to me it would be the most unusual and it would be the most precarious way of living or vicarious way of living sure um because i've never done it so i would say first of all to draw your own box i guess don't or to redraw it if you 
if you think of the box as um, a nine to five job mm -hmm. and a steady address and a very consistent, um, you know, perhaps you would put the term, the adjective monotonous on that mm -hmm. life, then sure. maybe you need to just uh, redraw it wider first and do something that is a little bit adventurous and maybe it's a change of job or it's moving house or um, reducing to part-time so that you can do something that you absolutely adore, some hobby that you adore more frequently and a little perhaps to be moving up to making that hobby into your career. But then it's wider and wider and wider and it then becomes a situation where suddenly you realize you don't have a, a specific parameter for how life should be lived. It's just um, the wobblier it is, perhaps the more in balance it becomes. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, most people are really afraid to take any kind of risk, to risk uh, even listening to their heart about something. Because yes. often when we listen to our heart, it doesn't have a guarantee. We don't know that we're going to land on our feet when we jump. We don't know we're going to make enough money to survive. We don't, if we do something that we love, we don't know if we're going to um, crash and burn if we move across the country or move across the world or uh, decide to allow oneself to love someone who's not, who doesn't fit the definition of what the kind of person we've loved in the past. Sure. Um, but how do you know the answer unless you just take the leap of faith? I mean, to me, risk is nothing to be afraid of. Risk is actually something to uh, to embrace. I that's... have never done anything but embrace risk because that's always been my norm. But for those who haven't done that, it's scary the first time. But as soon as they do, as soon as anyone does something crazy, quote unquote crazy. Quote unquote, I mean, yeah. Uh -huh. um, as soon as someone does something risky, the first uh -huh. time they will hopefully be inspired to do it again. Um, you know, what else is there except risk yeah. and adventure? I just yeah. really don't want to live this life um, in a way that makes me look back and say, I really didn't do much yeah. or I really didn't um, believe I could do much. And, you know, so I have, for example, I, I get this question from fellow expats a lot. They, they want to know how to stay in China if they don't necessarily teach English. Because <laughs> mm, that's the main way to stay. Is that why? Oh, for sure. I would say 95% of the expats that I know, um, they are English teachers here, mm. for sure. But uh, I do a variety of things. Like I'm not just a full-time musician. I also have this studio where I'm sitting right now. And uh -huh. I do some voiceover on the side um, for various clients. Um, my partner and I started a business here a few years ago, and that's a foreign-owned company, which is a huge thing to have done. But um, that allows me to have an, uh, an umbrella for some of the other things I do, which includes vocal training. I have a few vocal students. And once a week, I do teach at uh, an international school where I teach a music creation program. Um, and what else do I do? I do a little bit of uh, vocal training in the education sector, but um, that's an extension of my vocal training. Um, and I'm a parent here. I'm a, a full-time mom, so I don't get paid for that. Right. <laughs> we should get paid for that. We should. Um, 
but all of those sort of freelance things that I do. Oh, I'm a writer too. I have a master's degree in writing. So I do some writing for magazines. And um, I think that those kinds of freelance style careers are often very scary to people. Like, yes. how do I do a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of this and then cobble it all together to pay my mortgage or my rent mm -hmm. or, and feed my children? But it's very possible. It's possible if it's possible for me in a foreign country, it's possible for anyone yes. in their home country. It's really possible. You just have to be a good juggler and you make it work and take risks because without risks, we have no growth because it is it is risks that's it forces us to step outside of our comfort zone. And that's where growth happens. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Fantastic on that. Well, I guess since we've got a couple more minutes, I'll ask about the the Chinese balloon. I'm like, ah, we'll see if she brings this up. What are you are you ever afraid living in China because of the not so great relationship that you know Westerners have with China in general? Well, um, so I think that currently there are conflicts happening between Chinese government and Western government. Mm -hmm. So the US and China have a very uh, fric a, a friction based relationship right now. Yeah. And uh, it's come and gone over the years, where there's been greater friction at certain times. And currently, it's a high level of friction between the US and China. A few years ago, there was a high level of friction between Canada and China as well. And as a Canadian, mm -hmm. I was a little nervous during that time. Um, that was with the um, uh there were some various political issues let's just say sure canada mm -hmm. and china but i was a little nervous as to whether or not my identity as a canadian would uh therefore translate into people mistreating me or me not being able to get certain paperwork processed yeah. or something because you never really know how the political will influence the practical yeah but but the practical is things like uh the bureaucracy of things getting visas processed, making sure that your identity doesn't somehow translate into some sort of prejudice against you, which you can never prove, right? Right. Because And that happens everywhere in the world. You can never really prove whether uh, something about you that uh, has in, in the past or in the present created some sort of form of oppression is going to impact your everyday life. And people worry about that in the West too. So yeah. during the during 2000, during the 11-11 um, and post 9-11, uh, post mm -hmm. um, sorry, not 11-11, yeah, 11-11 yeah, from, yeah. 9-11, People yep. are always, we're, people of uh, Middle Eastern descent were worried that their Middle Eastern identity yeah. would impact their life, their everyday life in the U.S. That's a great yeah. example. And every day, people of LGBTQ identity and et cetera, worry that their queerness or their identity of some way will impact their everyday life through this invisible or veiled prejudice. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. so I have that. But then I wanna talk about the next layer, which is the human layer. So yes, the US and China have friction politically, mm -hmm. but Americans and Chinese people have been getting along for, for centuries, really, for the last two right. centuries with uh, Chinese people living in the US and yep. Americans traveling to China. There's a huge Chinese population in the US and in Canada. 
and there's tons of immigration between these two countries, um, between these three countries. Mm -hmm. So currently, I recognize the political issues, and I'm sometimes worried about that veiled bureaucratic prejudice, but I'm never worried about the human prejudice mm. because Chinese people will still say to me, Canada's a great country. Oh, my cousin mm -hmm. lives there. My mother-in-law lives there. My ex, sure. my, my ex brother-in-law is settled in Toronto. And the same goes for the US. There's uh, so, so many students studying in the US and parents living in the US to accompany their students, wow. their, their children who have graduated and then um, settled and gotten a green card in the US. So there's a lot of good feeling towards our countries, our mutual dynamic, the West yeah. and the East on a human level. So for that reason, there's so many more people here than there are politics. For that reason, I'm not afraid because um, really this country, while it has a very strong government, um, the people are really what control what's happening here in a lot of ways because this pe the, the population is so massive. Mm. Um, and even people within the government will have connections, personal human connections to the US or to Canada that, um, that, that mean I, I have no reason to fear. Sure. Um, but during the pandemic, it was hard. It was tough being here because there, was such, there were so many controls. And I'm grateful that, that they've lifted those controls and now we're going to be able to travel outside the borders. And that's good. <laughs> Very beautifully that was, said. That's a bigger story. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Um, but I, I, <clears throat> I love how you, how you describe that, the human element. Because when, when, when we, I, I'm going to say just me, when I'm studying and looking at where I'm going to travel as a tourist, of course, the first thing that you look at is safety because I'm not going to drag my kids somewhere where it's not safe. And that's been something that people have brought up in the past is like, oh, it's, you know, China's not safe, but it's, it's so refreshing to hear you say that to bring it back to the human level, because you're right. It is, it's government and government is people and people are, they're human and humans we're all controlled by the same ultimate thing. We, we, our driving force is all the same, which is love deep mm -hmm. down. And, and, and um, actually China's really safe. Like in terms of crime, there's mm -hmm. no guns here. And uh, there's, as a foreigner, you're even more safe because any Chinese person that like, if you, there's no, there's no like nighttime attacks here. I can walk home at two in the morning without fearing for my safety. I can't do that in Canada or the U S no. Definitely so, not. So th this this is a really safe place, especially for foreigners, because if a Chinese person were to attack a foreigner here or there were any kind of crime against a foreigner, they would be even more punished. Interesting. Why Why is that? Well, it's it would be a huge loss of face. That's huge. Mm -hmm. A big part of Chinese um, culture is the need to save face, to not lose uh -huh. face. And I'm not saying that Chinese people regularly attack anyone. But right. If they were to attack a guest, a, a foreign guest uh -huh. in their land, uh, the, you know, security officers or the, the government, the, the sure. criminal code would be even more punishing mm, for that. Interesting. Because that's disrespectful to, right. to our foreign guests. That's yeah. how Chinese people would see it. These are our foreign guests. And 
even more so we should protect them. We should right. give them even more um, reason to feel safe here, to feel welcome okay. here. And can you travel pretty, f I mean, is travel pretty easy in comparison to other places that you've seen internationally for, for somebody like myself as a tourist, if I was going to go check it out pretty easy. Yeah, very easy. There's a lot of travel, um, a, a ton of travel routes here and lots of travel companies. The only downfall for <sighs> foreigners coming here is that the, you don't have the language. So you must rely on a travel, a tour guide and a travel company to host you, which mm. means you cannot make as many choices because some of those choices are pre-made for you. Yep. Black um, and white. Yeah. We don't vary, so, no variance exactly. <laughs> off the agenda. So my, uh, my friends who have come here, who have traveled through me have had a wonderful time and yeah. it would be good to travel through a foreign owned travel company here, which might okay. be a little more expensive, but then you have a bit more variance. You can definitely uh, pick and choose more easily. And perhaps you'd find it easier to communicate there would at least be some native speakers that you can speak with. But sure. there are more English speakers as a second language here in China um, than there are uh, native English speakers in the world. Wow, that's so phenomenal. I know that this is a country of a huge population and people are worried, oh, I come here, I can't communicate. But you will find a lot of people who can speak English to you because sure. they've learned it. Right, yeah. That, that's what I've heard. I mean, from others that have been doing a lot of travel. So, um, so what's next for you, for Ember? What's... Oh yeah, you asked me that. Yeah, um, we'll wrap it up with that question. That's great. Uh, what's next? Well, um, I have been trapped in COVID, COVID borders and, and COVID controlled China since 2020. Mm -hmm. And I really look forward to going back to see my family this summer. That'll be my first international trip it will have been four years by wow. the time I get out of this country. I'm, I'm so missing my family. Um, but musically, uh, I released an album in 2021, which many of my international fans have only heard uh, digitally. I really look forward to being able to perform that for people outside of China. Mm -hmm. um, and I have a whole new body of songs that I'm just starting to record in March we'll be going to Shanghai to do three songs um, at in a, a live recording opportunity that I'm uh -huh. really looking forward to. And then we'll be doing some domestic touring here, a whole theater tour through cities all throughout mainland China with my band, which is uh -huh. also something I'm really looking forward to doing. Um, and, you know, just we're moving into spring here. So I'm looking forward to the warmer weather coming in. Yeah. And uh, I hope by the fall of 2023, I can start looking at getting back to touring in Europe and uh, build, getting my touring back on track post-pandemic, sure. which uh, is something I'd really like to happen. Yeah, boy, I I'm excited to see what happens for you with, I bet you have big growth after being so settled for three and a half, almost four years. You'll get out in the world literally and figuratively and probably have just a huge growth because you're, you'll be exposed to stuff that you haven't got to see in the last four years and energized. I'm sure you're, you feel well rested after being so, you know, naturally quieted down for through the, the pandemic. Yeah. The lack of travel during this time has been really strange for someone who's been a traveler and been on the road for so many decades. Yeah. But uh, now um, 
I did do a lot of domestic performance. So Beijing shows have been frequent. And like in the month of March, except for one show, I have nine bookings and only one of them is outside of the city. So oh, wow. it's, a, it's a busy city and I can do regular local shows and that's wonderful. So I'm, I'm very, I have, I have to I appreciate Beijing. If you have to be trapped anywhere as a musician, a city <laughs> of 25 million people with, with lots of performance opportunity is, is okay for a musician. I was really lucky. I kept my performance chops up. Good. Good for you. Okay, Amber. Well, I am so grateful for you taking the time at 6 a.m. your time to sit and, and chit chat with me about China, about music, about your amazing journey and your bravery with coming out and then going back, I guess. Is that how you say it? With I guess I, just... <laughs> with your community. Um, yeah, I think it's really interesting to hear you share that with our listeners. And boy, I just think that you are like the picture of, of just risk and in a positive way, just living life as it should be, which is lived and doing things differently. Um, I think it's beautiful. You have a great story you. and I appreciate you, you taking words. the time. I appreciate you having me on your podcast. Thanks so much. It's lovely to meet you. Yes, yes, absolutely. I'm going to listen to some of your music and I will definitely be putting China on my list of travel things coming up in the next several years. And it it makes me feel good that it's somewhere that I I would feel safe traveling, um, that it's the culture itself is, is, uh, anti-violent, which is really good. So I'll be doing some research when I'm here. Make sure you let me know. I will meet you in person. I would love that. Thank you so much, Ember. I appreciate it. No problem. Take care. You too. Thanks for listening. For more on this guest, simply check the show notes. Like what you hear? Please subscribe, review, and share this podcast. Together, we can grow and inspire.